This week on Blue 58, we are back from a trip to Lambeau Field. What did we see? Well, a lot of stuff, and I'll tell you all about it. Then the Packers are shuffling their running backs again. What's it all mean? Plus, what to watch for in the third preseason game and why the helmet rule is going to get worse before it gets better. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, very excited to be with you here for episode number 95. Boy, the regular season is closing in. Lots of stuff to talk about, and we will start nearly one week ago with our trip to Lambeau Field. Got to take my wife to the Packers Shrine that is Lambeau Field for the first time ever. It was about as good as things possibly could have been. 51 points for the Packers in a preseason game. I, it's That's something to see. 51 points is is pretty cool. Uh, There have not been a lot of 50-point games in my lifetime, and just being there, even if it is the preseason, I mean, a lot of things have to happen for a team to score 51 points. But before we get to the game itself, some non-game stuff to talk about, just the experience of going to Lambeau Field. First, we got to talk about the flyover. Uh, I have been a little bit surprised by this story, Uh, not in that people are talking about it, just in that the way people are talking about it, because what has not come out in a lot of stuff in the media uh, has been this was the 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 flyover of the helicopters that happened during the game was actually the second one. Uh, we went into the field pretty early, so we were lined up before five o'clock to get into the Oneida Nation gate. Uh, our our seats were in the southeast corner of the stadium, and actually before the game, uh, this same pair of helicopters or a pair of similar helicopters came from the northeast of the stadium, uh, made a a circle much like they did during the game of Lambeau Field, and then took off to the northeast again. Um, We didn't think anything of it at the time, and I don't think anybody else near us made much of it either. I assume they were practicing for some sort of pregame or or in-game flyover. And so when that happened during the game, we didn't think anything of it. But here we figure out, or come to learn later that this was actually not planned at all. It was a couple of guys that apparently just kind of went rogue and ended up over Lambeau Field. I don't know why. I don't think anybody knows why yet. But that's a little bit scary in hindsight. So that was maybe the one weird part of this entire evening. Um, we've got to talk about a Vikings fan. Uh, we had the misfortune of sitting near a Vikings fan. And how did I know that this person was a Viking fan? Well, they just would not shut up the entire time they were behind us. So we sit down, we get to our seats pretty early. There's not a lot of people around us. And probably 15, 20 minutes before kickoff, a group of uh, probably late 20s women comes marching up the the stands or the, the stairs to the seats. They looked like a bachelorette party in that all of them were dressed similarly, except one was wearing something that made her stand out, much like you would see you know, a group of of friends going to a bar to celebrate their friend's upcoming wedding. One of them was wearing the shirt that says the bride, the rest dressed, uh, you know, in their bridesmaid stuff, except this person was not dressed as a bride. She was wearing flamboyant Minnesota Vikings gear, which is fine, I guess. I'll talk about that a little bit later on, if that's what you want to do. But what got me and got Liz, my wife, was how she chose to comment on her stadium experience. From the second she sat down, she started talking about the relative merits of Lambeau Field versus U.S. Bank Stadium. 
Immediately from the time she sat down, we knew something was going to be up because the first thing that she sat down or said when she sat down behind us was, hmm, well, not so sure about this. And I turned to my wife, she turned to me and just kind of raised her eyebrows in one of those ways that says, oh, here we go. She proceeded to talk about U.S. Bank Stadium like it was some sort of dear friend of hers. Hmm. The sight lines at U.S. Bank Stadium, I just just have to say, I, I feel like it's a little bit better. It just feels better. Like you, you go into U.S. Bank Stadium and you just see that there's, I mean, just look at that. The, look at those stands over there. And she points to the, the south end zone stands with the, the very tall bleacher seats. I, I just don't think you would see something like that at U.S. Bank Stadium. I, just the feel, this just isn't what I... Yeah. This isn't what I expected. And I, I just, at U.S. Bank Stadium, and it goes on like this, and I'm thinking, lady, it's a bowl. It's just a bowl. The sight lines everywhere are the same. And she goes on and on and on until about five minutes after the game starts, a couple people roll up and say, hey, I think you're in our seats. And this entire group of people, including the Minnesota Vikings fan, has to admit that not only are they not sitting in the correct seats. They knew that they weren't sitting in the correct seats. They told this group of ticket holders, well, we just figured someone else was going to take our seats, so it, we didn't think it really mattered where we sat. Well, it turns out it did because they got booted out and had to leave. I, I just don't understand why, if you're just going to criticize it the entire time, why you would bother coming to a, a, a preseason game for a team that you don't even root for. Why are you here? It doesn't seem like you're having a good time. You could have saved yourself quite a bit of money. Just don't go. Just don't go, okay? Along those same lines, something I don't understand apparently about sports fans, why do people wear gear from teams that aren't playing to games? Just in our section alone, we saw Vikings apparel. We saw Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders apparel. We saw Los Angeles Chargers apparel. Why? Why do you do that? you're here to root for the Chargers, but you're at a Packers and Steelers preseason game. I don't care if you're a Steelers fan and you come to the game, more power to you if you want to go to a game uh, featuring your team in an opposing team stadium. But why wear your Oakland Raiders, your Los Angeles Chargers shirt, if you're coming to see the Packers and Steelers? It just looks like you got off at the wrong exit, made a couple of really bad turns and ended up in Green Bay instead of wherever you were supposed to be. You just look like you're lost. I I don't get it. You're in somebody else's house. Just be polite. Just get along with the people who are there. You don't have to talk about things that are important to you. You're at somebody else's event. Focus on the Packers and Steelers. That's what everyone else is here to see. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Final thought, not game related. Ha ha Clinton Dix is really impressive. Uh, During halftime of this game, uh, there were four Little League teams, Pop Warner teams, uh, that played their halftime exhibition. Haha Clinton Dix came out of the locker room early and spent time talking with every player on the sideline for all four teams. He moved pretty quickly, but he made sure to have an interaction with every kid that was on the sideline for all four of those teams. I thought that was pretty cool. I think it said a lot about him. Uh, just, I mean, it, it takes it. It is absolutely one hundred percent low effort from him. Sure. There's, there's not a lot of personal cost to him coming out at the locker room of the locker room uh, for the second half 
of a game that he's not going to play in anymore and talking to some kids. Sure. But for the kids, it means a lot. And I think he seemed to realize that because he's, he spent a lot of time, such that you can at halftime, going up and down and talking to the, these kids. So that was just pretty cool to see. Actual game thoughts from what we saw from Section 127 at the Packers game last Thursday. It's really hard to evaluate football in person, especially from the vantage point we were at, without the benefit of, well, I didn't have even a pen and paper there, but anything to assist you in your analysis beyond a really, really basic roster. But that said, it is hard to overstate how excited I am about Jimmy Graham just from seeing him in a handful of snaps last Thursday night. He's like a human cheat code. You can see so much more of how defenses react to players and formations and motions when you're at a game in person. So from that aspect, it is easier to evaluate a little bit. Seeing Jimmy Graham and how defenses are forced to react to him is amazing. And I think it's going to be even better when we get an extended look at him and Aaron Rodgers together. That's exciting. And it was exciting to see them hook up for a touchdown because it just looks so effortless from the stands. You could see the play developing. You knew Graham was going to be open. And it worked out for a touchdown for the Packers, just how it apparently seemed to be drawn up. So that was really cool to see. It was also kind of hilarious to see how in this incredibly complex sport with hundreds hundreds of pages devoted to playbooks and strategy and hours and hours and months and months of practice and preparation. It's funny how defenses encounter a guy who's just really big and they don't know what to do with him. It's it's a reminder that so much of this game just comes down to physical attributes and things like that because Jimmy Graham wins so many of those matchups just because he's bigger than people. And you can almost see opposing defenders, especially a linebacker, if they end up across from Jimmy Graham, kind of glancing to the sideline like, coach, like, do you see this guy? He's really big. Like, what do we do with him? He's, he's just bigger than everyone else. How, how are we supposed to stop him? It's like they're in Little League or, you know, Pop Warner again, trying to defend that guy who just had a growth spurt ahead of everybody else. Like, he, he's just bigger than me. What do I do? It's hilarious to see that at an NFL level. And Graham is the rare kind of player that kind of brings that those things out. Uh, a couple notes about quarterbacks, receivers, and the defensive line. Starting with quarterbacks, I still maintain that Brett Hundley looks like a, def- a, a different player than we saw last year. He's going through progressions differently. Uh, his pocket presence is different and better. And even if he hasn't put up the same stats as Deshaun Kaiser, which I I don't think is entirely his fault, um, but he just looks different and better. And I'm becoming more and more entrenched in the position that I think the Packers are going to somehow end up keeping three quarterbacks barring a trade involving Brett Hundley. They're still not going to get rid of Deshaun Kaiser. But unless they trade Hundley, he's probably going to be there too. Speaking of Kaiser, he does a lot of good things, but he still has weird miscues. His fade touchdown to Robert Tanyan was great. But I think a couple plays prior to that, Uh, he misfired on a very similar play. And we saw that a lot in the first preseason game. He did not do very well in the red zone. And red zone offense is really what separates bad and even just good quarterbacks from great or next level guys. You have to be able to execute in the red zone. And Kaiser hasn't shown that he can do that really regularly. I also want to pump the brake a little bit on his stats, because even if you look at 
just his passing yards, it's so easy to see how that can get inflated by just a couple of big plays. He got 80 free, 82 free yards on that catch and run by Jake Kumaro, where Kumaro did 95% of the work. It was just a, a simple, relatively simple out or, or comeback route from Kumaro. But because of some poor coverage by the Steelers and some good running after the catch by Kumaro, it turns into an 82-yard touchdown. Kaiser obviously gets credit for that in his stats, but maybe he shouldn't get all the credit for those stats. So just bear that in mind as you as you compare the two statistical outputs between Hundley and Kaiser. Uh, finally, Tim Boyle, I, I, he remains pretty impressive, but I think he's a year away from really being a contender for uh, a roster spot, certainly for a roster spot. I think he's a great fit for the practice squad. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of danger about trying to slip him through waivers. I think there are other guys in similar positions around the league, and I think Kaiser, or not Kaiser, uh, Boyle, would probably be inclined to stick around in Green Bay if there was some sort of thought that he could be that number three guy who hangs around on the practice squad and gets promoted if something happens to a guy ahead of him. Just because of the familiarity with the system in Green Bay, uh, Joe Callahan pulled those sort of things for for a while. Ended up on the roster a couple times for good reasons and bad reasons, mostly bad reasons. Um, but I think he's he's likely to stick around unless a team really wants him on their active roster. And I struggle to see a lot of reason why a team would want him on their active roster at this point. He is a deep, deep number three type player. Receivers. Uh, I want to start with Jermon Moore. He does a lot of good things without the ball. The drops are bad. Uh, there's no way around that those drops are bad. Uh, he had a, a, a bad one at the game on Thursday, but he, he understands the game. And that sounds like such a cliche, but it, it's important, uh, especially for younger players. That idea of players having to learn how to play at an NFL level is real. That that's not a made up thing, even though it's a cliche and it's silly and it sounds dumb. It's it's not without merit. And Moore seems to have an understanding of what it takes to play in the NFL. You see it from the way he runs his routes, to the way that he blocks after the ball is in the air, to the way that he blocks for uh, runners uh, when the, it's a, an obvious running play. He does all of those things. So I'm not ready to quite pull the plug on Jamon Moore just yet. But I would still have him pretty down the far down the list of those top six, seven receivers or so. Probably number seven out of seven right now. I think there is time for him to turn it around. And I do think that there's a chance he could stick around in Green Bay, even if he would be cut. Um, but you know, I wouldn't put the odds of that at much better than 50-50 in favor of the Packers being able to sneak him to the practice squad just because he was a fourth-round pick. So we'll see. Uh, Equinemius St. Brown is really just waiting to break out. Uh, I'm very intrigued by what the Packers are doing with him in the slot. Uh, I like his size. I like his his catch radius there. And that was interesting to see on Thursday night. You could really see the, the physical presence he brings to the slot. Uh, Jake Kumro. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on, on the Kumaro phenomenon, but as much as I, I don't want to get super worked up about Jake Kumaro, he seems like the real deal for me. Uh, I still don't know exactly what that means. Uh, does it mean he's a number four, number five receiver now who could develop into a number two or number three guy at some point in the next two or three years? I don't know. I don't know what you do with him. How close to his ceiling is he, especially at his age? Um, 
I think you probably almost have to keep him at this point and then evaluate where you are in a year because you're going to have control over him because of restricted free agency and things like that. But long term, I mean, even two, three years down the road, I don't know where Kumaro is. Um, But I think for now, he's all but earned a roster spot. On the exact opposite end of that, though, is Trevor Davis. I think Trevor Davis is cooked at this point unless he does some absolutely spectacular things um, in the in what's turning out to be just the final preseason game. He did not practice today, Tuesday, when we're recording this, as far as I know, and uh, that means he's probably not going to play Thursday um, against Oakland. So unless he really has a lot of goodwill built up with the coaching staff in the front office, I think you're probably looking at the end of the Trevor Davis era in Green Bay, which may be just as well. He really pro- hasn't been that spectacular um, in his brief NFL career so far. So it, it would be a shame to lose that kind of speed, but with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling likely making a roster spot, you're probably not missing out on a whole lot there. The defensive line, finally one last note there. Um, Montrevious Adam is is going to do a lot of good things this year. He was exciting to watch at the game on Thursday night. He just moves people around. Uh, that that explosiveness that we heard of uh, coming off the ball in training camp or, or early in, in mini camp or whatever last year is very visible, and he looks uh, stronger than he was as a rookie, just wins uh, up front a lot more than I thought he would. So that was pretty exciting to see. That, I guess, sums up in 17 17- 18 short minutes, uh, our thoughts from uh, this last preseason game. Uh, A bunch of stuff going on with Packers running backs before we dive into preseason game number three here. Akeem Judd has retired. That's a little bit surprising, but also not super surprising because he wasn't going anywhere. Uh, Surprising, I guess, to see him retire while the preseason is still going on, uh, that he eliminates any possibility of him ending up on the Packers practice squad. But maybe he just decided, you know, I've been bouncing around the league for a while, uh, this is just as good as it's going to get for me, so I'm just going to walk away while I still can. I don't want to don't want to deal with this anymore. Um, in response, the Packers waived C.J. Johnson off of injured reserve and then signed two guys, Bronson Hill and LaShawn Daniels. LaShawn Daniels Jr., as we will address here in just a second. Not super surprised to see Johnson waived, but uh, I mentioned him as a potential injured reserve redshirt-type candidate, um, so if it is surprising at all, it's because of that, but um, still making a pretty big jump for him going from uh, Division Three uh, to the NFL. So, was, And he was a little bit undersized for the position he was playing anyway, so maybe not such a big surprise there. Brunson, Brunson Hill, uh, quite a story on this guy, just in terms of the amount of teams he's played for in the regular season or offseason so far in his brief NFL career. He's played for the Bills, the Bears, the Dolphins, the Bengals, the Jaguars, where he got three games in 2016 and carried twice for 11 yards. Then the Vikings and the Cardinals, uh, where he played two games in 2017, carrying once for negative two yards, and now the Packers. It's interesting to me that uh, Bronson Hill kind of fits a physical archetype for the Packers. Uh, The last few guys the Packers have signed have been built in kind of that Devontae Mays sort of mold, short, stocky, tough, straight-ahead runners. Hill definitely is that. Five feet, 10 inches, 221 pounds, thickly built guy, uh, pretty good pro day numbers, a lot like Devontae Mays, but not super great high-end speed looking at the mid-4.4s to low-4.5s sort of things. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Packers are looking for guys in this sort of mold uh, for a couple reasons, Mays hurt and hasn't. Mays is hurt and really hasn't practiced so much, really at all, 
uh, during training camp so far. Uh, and look who else the Packers really have already behind uh, their top-end trio of Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, and Ty Montgomery. Joel Buanio, Mays, of course, and Akeem Judd all sort of fit that stocky, straight-ahead sort of, uh, of role. I don't know if that that means that the Packers are looking for you know, a specific playing style out of those guys, since I think there's enough individual differences between these players that maybe that would be a bit of a stretch. But I do think it's interesting that they're all in the same sort of physical mold. They're not out there signing track stars. Uh, LaShawn Daniels, again, is much in that same mold, that six feet tall and 225 pounds. He's played for the Patriots, the Chargers, and Redskins, where he played four games in 2017, carrying three times for 14 yards. Uh, His dad played a single game for the Vikings back in 1997. His brother uh, is a center for the Bears, James Daniels. Uh, LaShawn Daniels, Jr., uh, is a little bit slower than Hill, a little bit taller than Devontae Mays, not quite as explosive in pro day numbers as either of them, but um, he does, again, fit that kind of stocky, straight-ahead, running back type. The bottom line on these guys is this. Somebody's got to carry the ball. You get towards that middle, later portion of the third quarter, and really the functional part of these preseason games is, is over. Uh, you've gone from developer from evaluating units to really individual players, and you're kind of looking to keep the clock running and get the game over. You need backs who can help you get to the end of the game. These guys are those sorts of player. They're, they're going to absorb snaps when the Packers aren't trying to get Williams or Jones this week or Montgomery banged up in the preseason. Somebody's got to be out there. It's going to be Brunson Hill and LaShawn Daniels. Speaking of, Let's look ahead to preseason game number three. Here are some things that we need to, or perhaps just I, want to see. Uh, First and foremost on offense, we've got to see some first-team reps from Deshaun Kaiser. This is going to be a legitimate competition between Kaiser and Hundley, and I think there's every reason to think that it's going to be, or is. You've got to see Kaiser play with the first team at some point. And it seems like there's a chance that that could be happening this week. Deshaun Kaiser has gotten some practice reps with the first team, and I would not at all be surprised to see him out there with the first team group on Thursday. Uh, So that'll be interesting to see if he uh, maintains his productivity playing with some first teamers out there. I would also like to see Byron Bell at guard. And with Justin McRae maybe a little bit banged up, there's a possibility that could happen as well. He did take some snaps this week at guard. I would like to see him at guard uh, more extensively because I don't think he's really a tackle. And I think what we've seen in the first two preseason games has all but confirmed that. Thirdly, we need to just see more from the tackles in general. Uh, It's kind of funny that Kyle Murphy was drafted as a right tackle, Jason Spriggs was drafted as a left tackle, but they're really playing more left and right, uh, exactly flip-flopped in their NFL careers so far. We just need to see more from these guys than we've gotten because otherwise the Packers' depth at tackle is pretty shaky. I still don't know how much confidence you put into Brian Bulaga's surgically repaired knee. I would tend to not put a lot of confidence into that given that he'll only still be about nine months, ten months removed from that injury in week one. So I think you have to have some options behind him. 
if you don't have options there, what do you really do if something goes wrong? You end up kicking Justin McRae back out to tackle again and hoping for the best. That's not ideal because we all saw how he can play at tackle last year. Serviceable at best, uh, definitely not ideal. So let's hope that gets sorted out. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more out of Jermon Moore. It's time for him to make at least a couple plays. We've got to put some of those drops uh, behind him and really just show any signs of life here. Um, and really, I'd like to see what they do with these new backs if they get any sort of extended playing time at all beyond uh, just the, the garbage time when the team is trying to run out the clock. Finally, on offense for this Thursday, uh, we've got to pay attention again to this uh, this center situation, who's first off the bench, who's taking snaps there literally, and uh, what the Packers are thinking as far as the the number two center spot. Lucas Patrick did take some snaps at center this week, which would be interesting because he's typically a guard, but if they could get by with having him at guard capable of stepping in at center if need be, that would kind of probably free up at least one more roster spot for the Packers because then you don't need to carry a pure center uh, right behind Corey Lindsley. That gives you a little bit more flexibility if you're doing something like trying, say, to keep three quarterbacks or seven wide receivers or maybe both. So paying attention to center is really important. In the first preseason game, Dylan Day was the first center off the bench, and he did take uh, a little bit of time at guard as well. So we'll see what happens here. Flipping over to defense, pay attention to the cornerback rotation here. I want to see who's getting snaps where and when. Uh, Josh Jackson got some extended burn with the number twos last Thursday. Uh, As the Packers secondary gets healthy uh, with Kevin King and Jair Alexander coming back, uh, I'd be interested to see where and when Josh Jackson plays and who takes up the rest of the snaps elsewhere. That would be really interesting. Secondly, can act, anybody actually play safety? We're trying this Quentin Rollins experiment there. Wasn't overly impressed with that last Thursday. Although he does seem to be in generally the right spot, which is, I guess, something you'd expect from a guy in his third year. So that's good. Um, but I, there hasn't been a lot of reason to be super excited about the safety group, even HaHa Clinton Dix, which is different than I thought things were going to be in this new defense with Mike Pettin. And maybe that'll turn around once we start getting to, towards the regular season. But I haven't seen a whole lot of reason for excitement in this safety group. Kyler Fackrell, you still alive out there, bud? I know he's gotten a, a couple sacks in this preseason so far, but it really hasn't been anything other than cleanup efforts. Um I know I predicted that Kyler Fackrell is going to make the roster. I still believe that he's going to. But we still need to see a little bit more from him. Uh, What really has Kyler Fackrell done in his two seasons so far? Uh, He's been remarkably competent on rare occasions, which is about the nicest thing I think anybody's going to say about Kyler Fackrell, other than, you know, he seems like a generally decent young man. Um, but he hasn't shown a lot of reason that we should be excited about him being on the roster, and I don't know why you would be super excited about him at this point. More to the point, does anybody want to be an edge rusher? Uh, The Packers have Clay Matthews and Nick Perry starting at outside linebacker, and Reggie Gilbert has looked pretty good this preseason so far, but can you really think of a a lot of contributions from anybody else? Vince Beagle hasn't been super exciting. Uh, Kendall Donerson, uh, you know, forced that one fumble, but what else has he really done? Uh, and there really aren't any other names to speak of at the position. Maybe that's fine, 
Uh, maybe Mike Penton's defense will get enough pressure from scheme and, and other things. The defensive line in particular, that edge rusher won't matter so much, but still, I think you'd like to be a little bit more prepared at the position than the Packers seem to be right now. That's just me. Other thoughts, uh, let's look and see who the punt returner is, uh, who gets uh, extensive reps there. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see a little bit of Jair Alexander, but who knows. Uh, kick return much the same time Montgomery got a crack at it last Thursday. Um, but again, who knows. And finally, is J.K. Scott ever going to just really just rip off a punt here? Uh, just drop one of those big punts that we've been hearing about in practice in a game? That would be super exciting to see. Super exciting and uh, air quotes a little bit there. While I've got you here, let's talk for a second about this helmet rule. I don't want to go super deep into the particulars here, but more the perception. This helmet rule is bad. Everybody knows that. Or do they? Does everybody know that? I'm not sure. I think once we start getting towards the regular season and people who maybe are a little bit more on the casual end of NFL fans, of the NFL fan spectrum, are going to start tuning in and seeing this new rule and seeing the flags fly and wondering what the heck is going on. There's going to be some outcry over this rule early in the season, and I think it's going to get bad for the NFL at first, but I think it can get better over the course of the season. I think the way that people call penalties in the NFL changes significantly over the course of the year. I don't have any hard evidence to back this up, but anecdotally, you hear about different interpretations of the rules over the course of a season. Uh, Things grow and change, and things that may not have been one way at the start of the season grow into something else, and so on and so forth. I think if there's any way forward for this rule, it's going to be mild reaction to this outcry that is definitely coming over this rule and a gradual evolution of how the rule is called over the course of the season. If there's any chance for hope for this rule, that's it. And I'm interested to see how things grow and change. But bear this in mind, and I think you can take this to the bank. Things are going to get worse for this rule before things get better because we're still not getting a lot of pushback from people who maybe don't follow things as closely as perhaps you or I do, uh, just being the sort of people we are who listen and produce this podcast. So watch and wait and uh, brace for it uh, because it's coming. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Blue 58. That's uh, that's all I've got for you this week. Uh, you can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you'd like to reach out via email, you may do so at thepowersweep1959 at gmail. We continue to pick up a Patreon subscriber now and then, and we do appreciate your support there. If financial support of this blog and podcast is something you're interested in, check us out at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. If you'd literally like to wear your support on your sleeve, check out our selection of fine t-shirts and hoodies at Teespring. Click on the store link at thepowersweep.com. As always, the freest and easiest and cheapest way to support The Power Sweep and Blue 58 is by leaving a review on iTunes. costs you nothing other than the cost of your uh, iPhone or access to the podcast app. However, you get to those podcasts. It's uh, It helps more people find the show and it, it makes us look 
look better out there among the Packers podcasts available on that platform. We do always love to hear from you, even though I'm not always great at, at following up on those communications. I try to get back to as many people as I can, as quickly as you can, as I can. Uh, do, but do remember that any feedback or thoughts or questions that you give us help us make this entire operation better and help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we are all trying to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you back here next time on Blue 58.